I have the honor this morning of, of bringing the word to you. And uh, I know we just prayed, but uh, you can never have too much prayer. So let's, let's bow our heads again. Father, I just pray that you would, uh, Lord, I would just ask, um, just guide me and uh, prepare each of us to hear the, the truth. And Lord, just, uh, you know, Lord, guide me as, as um, I deliver it. And I just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I am, by trade, um, I'm a school teacher. And for over 20 years, I've, I've taught history on multiple levels. Um, college level, though I haven't worked in, in a college setting, um, I've taught advanced placement courses from world history to U.S. across the board. Um, and then early in my 20s, I spent time at Multnomah um, Bible College. And as a historian, we live in very interesting days. Would you agree with that? And if, if you remember... Jesus was asked by his disciples. I mean, if you think about it, he's walking out of Jerusalem at this week of Palm Sunday, right after Palm Sunday. He walks out of the temple area and he says to the disciples, you see all these buildings? Not one's going to let me on another. And then he walks away. It's like the ultimate mic drop. And the disciples are like, what did he just say? And then they don't even go to him until later on to ask him. And they probably, you know, Peter finally goes up. You can just see them going, you ask him. No, you ask him. You're the big mouth. You ask him. Fine. Lord, what's the sign of your coming? And Jesus said one thing very, very interesting before he got onto the earthquakes and the famines and the wars and rumors of wars. He said, be very, very careful that no one deceives you. It will be an age of deception. The problem with deception is when you're deceived, you do not know you're deceived. And so in this message this morning, I'm going to share some things that might be uncomfortable, but in the end is the greatest joy. But we need to hear the truth and be thankful that this church, Pastor David, the elders, Dr. David, Pastor Dave, is that this church believes that the Word of God is the Word of God. It is the truth. And we don't cherry pick passages we like. We take the whole counsel of God. Because it is the Word of God. And so Palm Sunday is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. It begins the Passion Week. And Passion means to suffer. In fact, the word compassion means to suffer with someone. Why do you feel for them? Because you try to have empathy for what they're going through. Because we share humanity. He enters Jerusalem on a donkey that has never been ridden before. Could you imagine of all the animals ever created... That special donkey was created to bear the Savior of the world. And they welcome him with palms and everything like that. But in Matthew, it goes on to say that two things happen immediately afterwards. After he goes in, Hosanna and welcomes him. He then goes into the temple and he pulls out some whips and begins to clean out the temple of God and says, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. 
And then he goes and he curses the fig tree. Which symbolically is going to represent Israel being put away for a time while the Gentiles are grafted in. But notice this. He was not made king, though king he was. Why? A lot of in the scriptures, the titles they put in the triumphant entry. You can look at it two ways. Very sad that Israel rejected her king. The appointed time spoken of in Daniel. But for us, it had to happen. Why did Jesus have to die? That's the question I want to deal with this morning. As a school teacher, I fight this battle every single day in the classroom. The battle, well, cell phones. If you've ever tried to taught in this day and age, it is difficult to compete with Instagram and TikTok and whatever. And every day, put your phones away. Now think about this for a second. Put your phones away. No, it's not, in, a sense, in the grand scheme of things, it's nowhere near some serious sins, but will it really hurt the students as they sit there? I don't care what anybody says. We're not that good at multitasking. That's a cop-out. And if, they, if I have a rule in the classroom and I have nothing there to enforce it, then the rule means nothing. It means what? Nothing. Are there real consequences to it? And if the students figure out there isn't, how long until they have their phones out? Five seconds. You thought the five second rule was food on the ground? No, it's, it's, it's cell phone rule. So keep that in mind as I talk about later on. But I also want to tell you a story. A middle school story. Not as a teacher, but when I was a student. There was a group of boys in a locker room that bullied another student to such a degree that the student crouched in the shower, in the corner of the shower, in tears as they verbally dismantled him. The student never returned to that school again. Is that pretty sad? Yes. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, let's lay down some various important things. Let's define from Scripture what is wickedness and what is righteousness. There are two passages in the Scripture, and I know some of you are in a life group, but I went through this a few weeks ago, but this happened to be linchpin Scriptures. So the first one I want to look at is Isaiah chapter 14. Folks, if you have your Bibles, this is one of those key passages to know. And, and here's another reason why I'm going to be talking about this subject matter. For two reasons. Number one, if you're a believer in Christ, I want to help you understand 
that the truth of Scripture is the truth, despite the nonsense that this postmodern world says. If you're not a believer, I want to try to implore you to listen. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, is the passage that details the fall of Lucifer, who became Satan, the accuser. And notice what he said in his heart. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This passage is known as the five I wills. The heart of it is pride. Lucifer coveted God. Does that make sense? He coveted God. I will. I am more important. I will be greater than God. Self-centered, narcissistic, self-absorbed, coveted. And from that comes all kinds of unspeakable evil. The opposite. Righteousness. This is the passage of Scripture that you should have as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. But let this mind be also in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You want to know the difference between evil and goodness? Humility, submission. Right, living in one's jurisdiction, not putting yourself first. There is no compare and contrast in Scripture between the heart of evil, Lucifer, and the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in those two passages. Now, why is this important? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, in Scripture, in Genesis chapter 3, we fell. Now, folks, we, we cannot make light of this, okay? We fell. None of us have an idea of how far we fell. But we fell. We're broken people. And look, I'm a historian. Do you realize if you teach history, how much ugliness is in history? In 6,000 years of world history, there's only 200 years where there's no wars. 
they happened to coincide with the arrival of Jesus so the gospel could spread very easily during the Roman Empire called the Pax Romana. Meh, maybe God designed that so it could spread very easily. But it really is a rather depressing subject. In fact, I have to crack a lot of jokes in class because if I don't crack a joke, I shall surely cry. You look at the news. Look at the world. Look how many self-help books. If we weren't broken, do you think you need a self-help guru? They'd be out of what? Business. We're broken. Now, do you remember when Adam and Eve fell in scriptures? What did Lucifer say to Eve? If you eat this, your eyes will be open and you will be like who? The same temptation as the five I wills. And she ate and gave to her husband and he ate. And we fell. We fell. Now, folks, why is this important to understand? Because we must understand why Jesus did die. So that we can understand the resurrection. If you study through scripture, God then gives the law to Moses and summarized in the Ten Commandments, which is Exodus chapter 20. Now, the Ten Commandments, if we can go ahead and put the first two up. And I'm not going to go through all ten. I really want to focus on the ten, but very quickly... The first two, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. Let's go to the next two. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain and keep the Sabbath day holy. The first four deal with giving God his jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we all clear? Let's look at the rest. The next slide. Honor your father and your mother. Now, why is that so important? Because if you don't honor your father and mother, how can you honor your father in heaven? You can't. I'm the king of breaking that one. Trust me on that one. You shall not commit murder. You know, do you remember when Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed what? You know those boys in the shower? What did they commit? They murdered that boy. Let's not kid ourselves. They just did so with their tongues. Next. You should not commit adultery. Honor your father and your mother and honor your marriage. Those are kind of really big deals, aren't they? Next, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. Commandments 1 through 9 are all behavioral. The first four give God his jurisdiction. The next five are behavioral with human being to human beings. Now, this is where the Pharisees made a tragic mistake, a grave error in theology. They thought they could actually keep the Ten Commandments. They did not understand the Tenth. The Tenth is the linchpin. 
Let's put the tenth up. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not what? Covet. That's not behavioral. That's internal. Folks, let's be very clear. If you break commandments one through nine, you've already broken the tenth. You don't honor the Lord and worship him. You're coveting his power. You don't honor your father and mother. You're coveting their authority. You steal from someone. That's easy. Bearing false witness, gossiping. You're jealous of their position with others, so you tear them down. You cannot keep the Ten Commandments as a fallen creature. And here's why. Do we honestly believe that righteousness is behavior? Folks, I can walk in the room and say, every single one of the students, put your phones away or you'll be expelled. Most of them will do it. But have their hearts changed? They're just scared of the what? Do not confuse outward conformity with righteousness. We live in a well-fed society. Therefore, we're polite. Other societies in the world are at each other's throats. We must be better people. We're Americans. No, we have food. Remove that. <laughs> Watch civility go out the window. The problem is we are fallen creatures. And by fallen, let's be very, very clear. We are broken, insecure, fearful. We desire peace, shalom. We strive after it in the wrong ways. The whole story of humanity is trying to live a happy life and just choosing the wrong ways to do it. And therefore, we hurt each other because we're broken. Look, folks, if anyone's honest with themselves, truly honest in the middle of the night. We've all sinned. Do you know why the Ten Commandments was given? To diagnose the problem. We are all sinners. The law can save no one. Because you can't keep the law. Only Christ can save you. Does this make sense so far? Let's face some facts. And here I would like to... And when I say face the fact, let's be very, very clear and honest about some things. This is where it gets uncomfortable, but I'm doing this because we must understand that nonsense is nonsense. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. 
But when Adam and Eve fell, if God doesn't punish sin, let's think about this for a second. If God does not punish sin, then goodness means nothing. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God is good. Think about the world right now. What does the world desire and crave? Can someone just show up to make this a better place? Right? Somebody will show up. His name is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and He shall rule with a rod of iron. He shall bring goodness on the earth. God cannot allow evil to go unpunished or good means nothing. He is righteous. My first point is someone may say, well, I'm not that bad. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, first of all, what if you had been born in Germany in 1905? Would you have been a Nazi? I learned something from Frederick Douglass. Does anybody know who Frederick Douglass was, is? He wrote a book called Narrative Life of a Slave. I read it in college. And in this book, he analyzed the system, the system of slavery. But he did so in such a way that it blew me away. It'd be very easy for him to write a book how slavery destroys the slave, which it did. But he did more than that. He wrote about his first master's wife, how when he first met her, she was kind and loving. But after four years of being a slave master's wife, she turned into a vindictive, power-hungry woman. I put that essay down and realized what Douglas was saying. Slavery allowed all kinds of behavior that is injustice. Therefore, it brought the worst out of everyone. It destroyed everyone. The mistress, the master's wife, she was full of evil. She was just kind until she was put in a different environment. Folks, we cannot think that our outward environment is what makes us righteous. That's just conformity by outwardness. I'm not that good. I, I'm not that bad. Well, I suppose if I compare myself to a mass killer, I can come off pretty good. Um, the problem is you might want to use the standard that the judge of the universe is using, and that is the law. Thou shalt not covet. Oops. I'm not that good. Uh-huh. We live in a postmodern age where everyone's walking around saying there are no standards with morality. Isn't it ironic? There are no absolutes is an absolute statement, which Pastor David has pointed out. But on the other hand, you take someone and say, there are no absolutes of morality, yet they get on an airplane and fly because they believe in absolutes of gravity. Either there are or there aren't. They're not even consistent with their own philosophy because they can't. 
We walk around in the culture, we say, it doesn't matter how, how people live, it's whatever you want. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The problem is, that's not the truth. We fell. If I compare myself to the Ten Commandments and I do an honest assessment, I will walk away with one conclusion only. I have broken all ten. Not once, not twice, not three times a lady, but many times. I am guilty. Why? Because I'm a fallen creature. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, but, geez, preacher, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, that was me in my youth. I'm actually a nice chap now. I mean, come on. That was me when I was 20. I'm a nice guy now. Okay. Here's the problem with that. They say time heals all wounds. That's a lie. Time doesn't heal nothing. Time just makes you numb and forget. If I commit an act when I'm 20 or middle school and I move to be 50, yeah, I've, I've forgotten it or it's, you know what I mean? The problem is, I'm not outside of time, but God is. And to God, the offense is still there if you don't know Christ. Because you're a fallen creature here, and guess what you are here? You're a fallen creature here. Does this make sense? So do not think the passage of time will work. It doesn't. Here's another one. God is too harsh to have hell forever. And this is where it gets very important. Folks, salvation. Yes, of course, it is the forgiveness of the penalty and the, and the law part of sin. Does that make sense? Lord, forgive me for the penalty of what I've done. You are forgiven through my son. But there's another aspect of salvation. Lord, you must change me into something else than this broken creature. Do you see the difference? You must be born again. Why? Because you were born fallen. You must be born what? Again, anew, as a new what? Creature. You see, folks, if a person rejects Christ, what they're saying in all actuality is, I want to remain the way I am. If God doesn't deal with sin, goodness means nothing. And by the way, if God is not good, he cannot be loved. Because love, part of love is goodness, rightness, the caring for others. Jesus had to die because without his death, 
none of us could become those new creatures. Because here's the point. Justice had to be done. You remember those boys that murdered that other boy? Somebody had to pay the penalty for that crime. If that crime goes unpunished, then that crime, then goodness means nothing. That crime had to be punished. Somebody had to pay. Now think about this. God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son so that he would be offered as a payment for our sins. Does that make sense? On Palm Sunday, folks, they're saying, hail the king. And Jesus goes, it's not my time. And Peter's like, you can't go to the cross. We won't, let, we won't let you die. Get behind me, Satan. Because if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, then we cannot be forgiven. And not only forgiven, but transformed. The problem with our day and age is we want the love of God and the good feelings of God, but we need to also understand that righteousness and goodness is also a real thing. The gospel is an amazing thing. It promises complete forgiveness. And by the way, the cross announces that evil really does exist. Have you ever talked to somebody when something bad happens and they try to make light of it for you? And you go, well, in reality, thanks, but this really is horrible. And the answer is, yes, it is really horrible. So hell is a real thing, but God desires no one go there. Now, the final thing I want to say to get to the end of this and get to some really good news is this. I've heard this a lot. I won't believe in the gospel because the church is full of hypocrites. Duh. Show me an institution that doesn't have hypocrites and I won't show you any institution at all. Well, let's tackle this one just for a second. You mean you've got a group of people learning how to move from fear to love? Learning how to move away from being fearful, insecure creatures to putting others above themselves, and sometimes they will fail at doing it? Really? Have some compassion. You're the same way. If you sit in church and go, yeah, I like church, but I'm not real fond of the people. Let's be very clear. We're all in here. If we're in Christ, we're all learning how to walk in love. I am not going to do it perfectly. That does not excuse it. And when I do fail, I repent and realize I want to love. I want to humble myself and put others above myself. I want to live as a transformed creature, no longer in fear or insecurity or from the fangs of Lucifer's fall, but in the love of Christ. Look, what do I have to worry about? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. 
I'm in the hands of God. Folks, I want to deal with one that's very dear to my heart. C.S. Lewis said this. We always have to have C.S. Lewis in the sermon. It goes with the territory. Trying to explain the infiniteness of God, the infinite of God. He said, take a piece of paper and stretch it out for eternity in all directions. Try to do that in your brain. Then go to that piece of paper and put a dot representing your life. Some people actually believe I have sinned too much for God to forgive. Let's think about that one. Can a person outdo God? No. Now, a person can reject God's offer, but a person cannot what? I can't outdo the infinite God. Who do I think I am? Folks, if there is somebody here that you've wrestled with the fact that you know you've done things and all you've heard from me is just confirming what you already know, let me tell you this right now. The offer of forgiveness and transformation is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Let's just be honest. If you ever came up to me and said, hey, you don't know what I've done, my response is, I bet you I've done worse. But, and here's the other thing. We're all capable, fallen creatures are capable of many things. It's just we haven't done some really bad things others have done in history because we've lived in a pretty pleasant time in history. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm polite because I got a lot of belly fat. I mean, let's be honest. In my fallen state. But folks, I want to read to you something to debunk if you think God won't forgive you. This is a very important passage of Scripture to me. John 6, 37. I love this passage. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. If you're coming to Jesus saying, Lord, forgive me, the Father gave you to His Son. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. By no means what? He's like saying it twice. By no means cast out. If you need forgiveness... And to say, I need Jesus Christ. I am a fallen creature who needs forgiveness. And you come to Him. The Father is drawing you. You will be forgiven. Now I want to close by just talking about salvation. My favorite topic. Well, Jesus is my favorite topic. I used to try to be a good Christian through outward behavior. Anybody ever tried that? 
Anybody? Am I the only one? Seriously? And then I'd beat myself up when I, when I did the same stupid stuff over again. Yeah, yeah I'm slow. Um, I'm just going to speak to you just as, a, as a, just a fellow church member. Why I love Jesus. Yes, I wanted to make sure that you understood that sin has to be punished for good to mean something. That the Good Friday is Friday. You can't have Good Friday. You can't have Resurrection Sunday unless you have Good Friday. Does it make sense? And I want none of you to leave time separated from the love of God. None of you. But what does salvation promise? You ready? Forgiveness, first of all. And you know what forgiveness means? Forgiveness. It means that God no longer takes into account what was done. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been removed. Why didn't he say north to south? Very simple. If you go north, you'll find south. But if you go east, you'll never hit west. That was geography, by the way. <laughs> Total forgiveness. It was me who murdered that boy in the shower. Total what? But the second thing is, what kind of a creature would do those things? He offers total transformation. To become new. The believer's future is this. Bliss. Absolutely. Life to a degree that we've never experienced it. No insecurity. No fear. All love. No temptation. The way we've all wanted life to be. For eternity. But God not only forgave us, but He also what? Transformed us. That we became children of God. Children, sons of God. That is, God is our Father. Why would anyone want to reject that? I, I, I no, look, I've seen glimpses of it. I got a long ways to go. And on it, before I leave time, I'm learning to walk with the Lord. And I've seen glimpses. And God is showing me things. I can't wait till I get there. I can't wait till I finally get to say, I just spit. Sorry about that. <laughs> I cannot wait until I get to the day when I breathe sin-free air. 
When I no longer worry about, oh, I'm not very well liked by some people. Who cares? He loves me. I'll be able to sing on tune. And clap. That my best days are ahead of me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I am no longer that person that did that to that boy. And it had nothing with behavioral modification on my part. It had everything to do with the blood of Jesus that he shed for the salvation, not only for the forgiveness of the things I've done, but for the transformation of my soul that he redeemed. We live in a culture of nonsense. They want a perfect world, but they refuse to acknowledge that to get a perfect good world requires that goodness reigns. They want so much, but they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. They want a God that's a grandpa in the sky that says everybody had a good time who never criticizes, you know, grandparents, sugar, 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 you know what I mean. But God loves us so much, he wants to change us. If you've lost the joy of your salvation, get on your knees and do what David did multiple times. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my what? Salvation. Realize how much God loves you. He loves you so much that Jesus said, I cannot be installed as king yet because I must go to the cross. And I'll close my sermon this way and we can start passing out the elements. You got a shorter sermon today. Would you all look up here? This, can you see this? This is a piece of a chest set. It's a king. The difference between wickedness and righteousness I think the best option would be this if you are offered to play a game of chess with God may I make a wee bit of a suggestion to you don't even set up the board just take your king and fold it. It'll go better for you. And I'll close this on Palm Sunday. Our Lord said on Thursday before Good Friday, Father, is there another way to do this? And the Father said no. And the Lord said this, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. If you do not know Jesus, Pardon for sin, salvation. If you come to Him, He will no wise cast you out. If you're a believer, do not be ashamed that you believe in the gospel because goodness is good and love is love. Do not fall for the nonsense of this world. And if you've lost the joy of your salvation, 
Ask God, he'll get it. I got a feeling that one's in his will. 